please open your Bibles and prepare to read from Scripture in a moment to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We'll start at uh, verse 24 in just a moment. As always, there's just a few words of introduction to kind of get us into the groove here. We've been doing a series of messages this month for the purpose of, of setting ourselves on this course for this coming school year, you know, because we kind of have two new years in our Western, Midwestern lives, right? You know, we have these two new years. We have the literal new years and uh, January 1st, but we also sort of start a new year every time school starts up again, because many of the families in the church you know, settle into certain routines around the end of August. And so in the spirit of the new school year, we've been talking about running to win in this coming year. And it's a message for young and old and new and uh, seasoned saints. And so this is the gist of what we've been doing. Last week, we talked about how the, the combination, we talked, two weeks ago we talked about the importance of prayer, and then last week we talked about the scripture, and, and basically established that, that this sort of two-sided coin of prayer and scripture reading is the best way to put yourself into this more intimate, personal relationship with God, and that, that you know, prayer is a conversation with God built around this understanding that God is present and, and with you in a very real sense, and that scripture is a way to rapidly gain an understanding of the very heart and mind of God, which is described by the word, word with a capital W in our English translation of scripture of the word logos. So the capital W word of God is the heart and mind of God. And this is revealed to us in a variety of ways, but it is most consistent and most readily accessible in Scripture. So last week, that was the gist of what we talked about, why it's important to read Scripture, why it's important to preach and teach from Scripture. This week, I'm going to talk about some very practical matters with you. And uh, I'm very aware, as uh, I was the instigator, that we just finished a a community-wide, corporate-wide reading of the entire Bible in 90 days. Many of you participated in that, and many of you have given me feedback on it. And I would like to pose a question with no judgment attached to it whatsoever, but if you did not do the Bible in 90 days, I'm just wondering why. And the reason I ask is not as a judgment, but but in order to assure you that what I'm trying to tell you today is meant to encourage you to go ahead and give it a try. If not in 90 days, 90 years, I don't care. Just do this reading of scripture and try to do it as often as every day in your life. And it can be a few verses at a time, but it is best to do a little more than that because it is your opportunity to become acquainted with the very personality of your creator and the one whose divine purpose for your life is the essence of this race we're trying to run. You're seeking that purpose and fulfilling that purpose all the while running home to Christ the King and God the Heavenly Father. 
If you haven't done the Bible in 90 days, it's okay. But today I'd like you to think about why as we press on in just a moment. If you did the Bible in 90 days challenge, no doubt you were gratified that you read the entire Bible and heard things and, and, and considered things in the scriptures that you had long forgotten or didn't know were there. But I also know that many people who finished the Bible in 90 days want to come back to it now and take it more slowly and more carefully because there's so many things you push through just to get done. And again, this message will be for you. So let's begin by reading that passage I ask you to dial up, reading Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Our Lord is speaking, and this is what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I was reading that, I, I pictured in my mind's eye news reports. And you know, I, every day I start my day with certain rituals. One of them is to look at the Weather Channel app to see what today's forecast is going to be. And of course, it has all kinds of little video clips of the way that people have been suffering through the various hurricanes and tropical storms lately. So just south and east of us, there has been a great deal of suffering, especially for people whose houses were not on a firm foundation. Now, this is literally true, but it's also very difficult, especially in the Southwest, to find a firm foundation to build your house on. So people are doing the best they can with the situation they have. So it's not a judgment. But if you want to picture what the Lord Jesus is saying, it's right here in front of us, just uh, a click away on the Weather Channel app, but don't look right now, wait till we're done with church. <laughs> One of my top three or four favorite hymns, as most of you probably know by now, is How Firm a Foundation. And it says in that opening verse, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. And it is by far the best musical and poetic statement of what I'm trying to say to you today about the importance of reading scripture. Um, it just, it drives home the point that the Lord prepared for you. And last week, you know, if you were here, I shared with you a very high altitude, brief overview of how we got the Bible that you have in front of you today. I gave just a really brief overview. And by the way, since COVID, we've been streaming these online and they are archived automatically after they're streamed. So if you really wanna go back and hear that message, you can go back and look on YouTube, you can go back and look on Facebook, or you can go to the audio podcast of the message anytime you want. If you have any doubts about how to do that, we can help you in a matter of seconds to find that with your device. So feel free to stop and see me. But nonetheless, if you wanna figure out what we were talking about last week, on your own, it's not that hard either. 
to find out how the Bible came into our hands. And it's a remarkable story of God's determination and faithfulness to being known by so many people. We take Bibles for granted today. And I've had a habit in my ministry career of every church I've served sort of overstocking us on Bibles. I have a tendency to make sure that everywhere you look, there's a Bible that you can read or that you can even have if you need one. Now don't take these, but there are other Bibles if you need one that I can make sure you get. Because it's so important in my mind that you develop the habit of reading scripture and I prefer to read it out loud. Now many of you finished the Bible in 90 days using the audio Bible and then you found it easier to succeed because you were able to multitask. I get it, we're very distracted people these days and being able to listen while you mow or while you work or while you prepare food in the kitchen or whatever really helped you get through it. But you may have experienced a side effect of the convenience that I think is really essential and that is the hearing of the word. And you must remember that scripture began as an oral history. It began as an oral presentation. People spoke the word to each other and it was self-correcting in that the people gathered around the storytelling would correct any errors that came up in the story. Remember I talked a few minutes ago about the importance of multi-generational small group gatherings. <laughs> that was the essence of how scripture was transmitted before the written word. And so now it's important that we read it out loud. And I recommend that as you sit to pray or whatever you, wherever you go, however you choose to pray, that you take and make a part of your prayer time with God, the out loud spoken word of God, that you read out loud from the Psalms, let's say, or from the Gospels. You can't go wrong reading from, reading from the red ink. I like to say, and it only depends on whether you have a Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, but in my opinion, <clears throat> you can never go wrong reading Jesus' words out loud. You will, whether you intended to or not, hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to you when you read scripture out loud, especially his words. But now I want to give you to, uh, today some very practical tips for scripture reading, to enhance your scripture reading, and to really benefit from this amazing, remarkable gift that God has given you in the form of that Bible that now is not only a book, but available on your smartphones and your computer screens, and, and you can watch it on TV. They're, they're, you know, just, it's amazing how many ways you can receive the word of Scripture. You may want to write these four points down, because if you are serious about Bible study, you might want to put these four points in the form of, a, of an index card and stick it in your Bible, wherever you're reading. But... These are, these are four tips for getting the most out of scripture reading. Number one is remember the big picture. Now, those of you who did the Bible in 90 days will recall that I said the most important reason to read the entire Bible all the way through in 90 days, and the only reason 90 days is because about this, that's about as fast as anybody could do it, you know, without catching their hair on fire. I mean, that's what happened to me. I tried to read it faster than that. But the most important reason for reading the entire Bible is so that you get the, get the grasp of the big picture, right? The next important thing, so number one is remember the big picture. 
What's this all about? The, the next point is, is find the context. Find the context. What does this mean in context? And, and it's, there's a little phrase that's important to remember. Context is king. And, and we're going to flesh all of these out in just a minute. The next thing is to understand the implications. What does it mean to me? And the last point is apply it to your life. What do I do with what I just got out of Scripture? So, number one, remember the big picture. Number two, find the context. Number three, understand the implications. Number four, apply it in your life. Now let's talk about the big picture for a minute. As I said, reading the entire Bible gives you the big picture. If you read the entire Bible recently, then you're aware that this book is essentially a love story. It's about God's love for God's son, principally, and how this love for God's son is expressed in the creation of human beings in this perfect dwelling place on a fallen world that we call Eden. And so you understand that this is, this, this is the uh, setup for the story. This is the premise of the story. And then as the story progresses, it's about this constant struggle with an, an enemy who is determined to make God's people fall out of love with God, to try to distract them from God, to try to get them to distrust God, to try to get them to despise God. And so this entire Bible, is just, especially the Old Testament, is just about this constant struggle that is set up between God trying to remind people of how much they are loved and how desperately he desires that they would remain in his covenant relationship with them. And then there's this enemy who is bound and determined to take them outside that covenant relationship at all costs. Then in the New Testament, we see how God through God's own son rectifies the ultimate problem and then creates a way for us to return to God's covenant relationship through a new covenant made through Jesus. And then the remainder of the scripture is the story of how through Christ, we find our way back home to Eden. I mean, that, that to me is the big picture of scripture. So understand the big picture when you're reading small parts of scripture. Now, find the context, and I cannot overemphasize the importance of this. I think if there's one thing that I have seen Christians do over and over again to to their detriment and to the detriment of entire groups of people, entire bodies of Christian believers is to take a particular passage and apply it as though it stands alone in and of itself. In other words, without context, we turn scripture into a bunch of sayings and idioms and things like that. And we find that without context, we are tempted to create legalistic boundaries around the Christianity that was to, designed to set us free from the legalism of the Pharisees. And we see legalism in, in Christianity all over the place. And this legalism is of the devil. It really is. And so the devil would have you focus on a particular passage 
and condemn yourself or others in that single passage. Listen to what happens in the interchange between Jesus and Satan during his temptation while he wandered in the wilderness after his baptism. And you see how the devil cleverly uses scripture verses in order to change the context and trick Jesus or subdue Jesus or to tempt Jesus. So, you know, it stands to reason he's doing the same thing to ourselves, to us, right? To you and to me. And so we must keep what we read in context. If you read a passage that you find troubling, go back and start several paragraphs ahead of it and read through to several paragraphs afterward and begin to wrap your mind around the third point, which is understanding the implication. So the third point is, is that you've looked at this particular passage, you've looked at this saying of Jesus, and here's one that gets a lot of us in trouble, especially nowadays in the life of the church, when Jesus said, if a man uh, divorces his wife and marries another, he's committing adultery. Jesus says that if you have a harbor angry thoughts against someone, you may as well have committed murder. Well, if you take that out of context and just interpret it as is, you can create a huge legalistic boundary that will suppress people, make them feel alienated from the body of Christ and make them feel unwelcome even in God's house. And nothing could be further from God's intention. Looking at the context of the stories that I just cited, for example, reveals to us that Jesus is countering argument from the legalistic Pharisees that he was talking to. And he's trying to say to them that it doesn't matter how upright you appear to your contemporaries, it doesn't matter how holy you think you are, you're not good enough to save yourself from God's justified wrath. Jesus is trying to point out through these sayings that you really cannot save yourself because who hasn't had an angry thought towards another person? If you drive cars, you've probably committed murder according to Jesus's saying numerous times. Jesus said, if you look at a, a, a handsome young man or handsome young woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. Well, who hasn't, at least in their youth, been guilty of that, right? And I suspect even some of us older folks are still guilty sometimes. So what Jesus is saying to those legalistic Pharisees only works if you understand the context of the setting and conversation and understand that what he's really doing is making a much larger point, which is trying to convince these people who have turned the letter of the law into something that they interpret and they oppress. Remember how much God hates oppression. That's another big picture thing. God hates oppression. And look at how the Pharisees oppressed people by interpreting the law and declaring someone clean or unclean or declaring someone a saint or a sinner. And in a society where those religious leaders have a lot to say about the well-being of people in the communities, there's a lot of oppression built around their legalistic interpretation of a saying. Do you see why context is so vitally important when you read scripture? Why discernment of the uh, implications 
is so vital to this understanding of things. And having discerned that, how do you apply it in your own life? Now that you've done this discernment process, how does that fit your context, your life? Can you put yourself in the position of the main characters in that part of scripture that you're reading? Can you allow yourself to imaginatively read scripture and say, well, you know, if I was the woman at the well, if I were Jesus, if I were one of the apostles who said, Jesus, what are you doing here? And, and so on. If you, were the, uh, if you were Simon the Cyrene who encounters Jesus on his way to the cross, if you were... And you see, put yourself in the positions of the various characters in these stories that you're reading. It will help you then to understand what God is trying to communicate to you about your context and about how you live your life in an intimate relationship with God. And that's really, that's it. This is why reading scripture is so important because it gives you a perspective and if I could say just as simply as possible what my personal mission statement, I mean, I have a written personal mission statement as a pastor. In other words, my pastoral mission statement, and I have to admit, I have to go back and read what I wrote specifically, but, but the general mission statement as a pastor that I abide by is, is helping people to develop a biblical Christian worldview. In other words, my goal as a pastor, and, and it's been this goal since I accepted the call over 25 years ago, is to help you look at the world through the lens of scripture and to interpret what you see and hear in the world as a Christian believer because it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And it doesn't necessarily make you walk like a saint every day, but it makes you see things from the Lord's point of view. And it, I just, I don't know how to explain it any better than that. This is why I press on every week to try to get you to develop your own Christian biblical worldview because of the way that it changes everything about your life. So running to win, as we've been saying throughout this series, is running to him, that is to God the Father, who has created a clear way for us to run home, unobstructed by sin through Jesus Christ, his son. Doesn't mean that this year's long journey isn't going to have difficulty. It doesn't mean that it won't have temptation. It doesn't mean that you won't falter and fall. It doesn't mean that evil won't impede you in some cruel manifestation. What it does mean though, is that you are welcome home and no matter how many side trips you make on the way, the destination remains the same and the door remains wide open. You are heading toward an undiscovered country. And by this, I don't mean in the Shakespearean sense where he's talking about death. <laughs> I'm talking about something like what Christopher Columbus experienced when he was determined to find a route across the oceans. You know, there were many people that believed in his day that he was sentencing himself and his crews to death because they were just gonna run right off the end of the earth and never be seen again because they just assumed that what was beyond the horizon was not there. But he pressed on anyway, convinced that he could find a way to India. 
And so tradition says that that's why the Native Americans were referred to as Indians ever since, because when he landed, he thought that's where he was. Why would I bring that up? Only to say this, remember that you're, you're running to find your way all the way home to the Lord. So don't assume that you have arrived in India and then it only turns out to be an unknown continent, right? You know, find your way all the way home and trust me when I say this, the only way you'll be absolutely certain is when he embraces you and your, your arrival and says, welcome home. I'm so glad to see you. So just keep pressing on and do not give up. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of the word, for the ability to know your heart and mind as our Lord, our God, our Savior, our brother. Help us find our way home, Lord, and help us develop the disciplines that will enhance our journey, especially as we consider the importance of knowing you through the word expressed in Scripture. We pray for your glory. Amen. Amen.